everyone, welcome back to Viewing Apologetics. Super pumped to join us today. Today, I have Dr. Andrew Brenner of Hong Kong Baptist University. We're going to talking about how does God know 2 plus 2 equals 4. So, what's up, Andrew? Hello, how's it going? Thanks for inviting me on here. Yeah, I'm super pumped for today. We're going to be talking about um, God and his knowledge and grounding and theism and Platonism and all these really fun, exciting things. So, before we get into that, Andrew, just to talk a little bit about like who you are and what you do. All right, uh, my name is Andrew Brenner. I'm a philosophy uh, assistant philosophy assistant professor of philosophy at Hong Kong Baptist University, and uh, this this stuff we're talking about today is philosophy of religion mixed with some metaphysics. These are different areas of philosophy. I mostly work in metaphysics. I do some philosophy of religion, some other topics like uh, philosophy of science, philosophy of mind. Um, uh, I've written some stuff on Buddhist philosophy and uh, some meta-ethics. Yeah, but mostly metaphysics and then some philosophy of religion. So those are the stuff we're talking about today. Yeah, I'm super pumped. So we're just going to jump right into it and looking at this question of how does God know 2 plus 2, two equals 4. There's a link to the paper that we're basing generally this discussion off of down below. But first off, Andrew, like, how do you propose that God's beliefs track with reality in the first place? All right, so uh, good. So sometimes theists, um, you know, uh, they think God knows a lot of stuff. Uh, God is omniscient. It's hard to understand exactly what omniscience means, but it involves knowing a lot of stuff and not having any false beliefs. Sometimes theists propose uh, proposals regarding how God's beliefs track particular parts of reality. Um, here's this general proposal in this paper about how God's beliefs track everything. So all of God's beliefs, how do they track? The things that their beliefs about. So if my dog is black, God is the belief, Andrew's dog is black, how does God know that, right? So uh, in metaphysics in the last like 15 years, there's been an explosion of talk about this notion of grounding. In fact, too much talk, the notion of grounding, it's become kind of a joke. Um, so my paper is a contribution to that. Uh, and uh, I appeal to this notion of grounding. So grounding is supposed to be this non-causal notion. So it's not causation. It's, it's something else. It's a non-causal metaphysical dependence relation, um, and you see it all over the place once you start looking for it. So for example, um, if you have a conjunction A and B, and it's true, uh, it's true because it's grounded in the conjuncts. It's grounded in A, being true and it's grounded in B being true, or um, the fact that I'm in a, that I'm having certain mental states that are grounded in the fact that I'm having certain brain states, or the fact that it's wrong to um, uh, kick my dog is grounded in the fact that it's uh, wrong to cause needless suffering in my dog, something like that, um, or. Uh, the fact that uh, a ball is red is grounded in the fact that it's crimson. Okay, so there, there's all these examples, right? Um, and uh, I suggest we just apply this general idea to um, God's beliefs. So think about a proposition like the proposition, my dog is black. You might wonder, how does this proposition know that my dog is black? So the proposition is true, right? Um, how does it know, right? Um, this proposition has never even met my dog. So uh, how does it know that my dog is black? Well, grounding, right? So the fact that the proposition is true is grounded in the fact that my dog is black, right? So that's a particular type of grounding called truth-making. Um, 
Some people would say truth-making is its own thing, it's not grounding, but whatever. Let's assume that it is for illustrative purposes. Just as you can ask, how does that proposition know the truth value, right? Which truth value to have? How does it know that my dog is black? Um, you could ask the same thing about God and you get pretty much the same answer. So um, God knows that my dog is black in virtue of the fact that my dog is black. So this uh, non-causal metaphysical dependence relation, grounding, you just apply it to God's beliefs in a general way. So any of God's beliefs, how does God, why does God have that belief? Well, God has the belief that P in virtue of the fact that P, right? So uh, God's belief that my dog is black is grounded in my dog being black. Okay. Um, and the reason I would even talk about this stuff in the first place is because you need some account of how God's beliefs track causally inert portions of reality, portions of reality which couldn't cause God to have those beliefs. So um, one section of my paper is discussing that issue specifically and showing how this account of God's beliefs being grounded in the subject matter of those beliefs overcomes this concern about, well, how does God know about portions of reality that could not cause God's beliefs? And the answer, of course, is grounding isn't causation, so uh, no problem, right? And um, I'm not sure we'll get to that part of the paper, uh, but I hope I, yeah, so that, that's the general proposal, just this general model of how God's beliefs track reality. It's grounding, right, because, uh, in the past 15 years, and among metaphysicians, as I've said, everything's grounding, right? So uh, I'm just saying this is grounding too. Mm -hmm. Is that clear? Yeah. Did I clarify the general idea? Yeah. So if I think just like trying to recruit to understand, so like God understands, yeah. like we're looking at like maybe like the knowledge of like us having this conversation right now. It'd be mm -hmm. some sense of like knowing like um, these acausal like propositions that kind of describe, or maybe not describe, would be the right word, but kind of like relate to like this conversation and God knows those propositions. Like how, just trying to understand this. Uh, yeah, that could be one way of thinking about it. Um, uh, right, so God's beliefs are beliefs in various propositions. You could think of it that way. Uh, or maybe you don't even want to talk about propositions, right? You could just say God, God believes that we're talking right now, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, the proposal is simply that the reason God has that belief is because um, God's belief is grounded in what we're talking about now. So I'm just appealing to this general notion of grounding, and then we can get a handle on what grounding is by looking at a bunch of other examples of grounding, mm. like. Uh, like truth-making or um, moral grounding, like the fact that it's wrong to murder me, is um, that's grounded in the fact that you would deprive me of my future or something like that, or uh, lots of other cases of grounding. So that's a basic proposal. So then I'm wondering, like, Andrew, the question then is, like, looking at this idea of, like, how does 2 plus 2 equals 4 ground God's beliefs? Uh, okay, yeah, so... Right, so that's in the title of the paper, right? So that's one of these examples of a potentially causally inert portion of reality. So, um, uh, so I have the belief my dog is biting me. If my dog is biting me, right? And you wonder uh, how do I have that belief? Well, um, well, that belief is caused by the dog biting me. Right? Um, what about two plus two equals four? So I have this belief two plus two equals four. Why do I have that belief? Um, many people want to say uh, it's not because 2 plus 2 causes me to have that belief. 
Okay, causation seems like the wrong way to describe it. A dog can cause stuff. Dog biting people can cause stuff. Uh, uh, the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4 maybe can't cause anything. Uh, it's sort of an abstract fact. You might even think it's abstract objects. You might even think there's these objects, 2 and 4. I don't think that, but some people do. And if you think that, it's hard to see how they could cause anything. Um, so that's where that example came from. It's a, an example of something we have beliefs about, God presumably has beliefs about, but it's not, we couldn't be caused to have those beliefs by the facts in question. So the reason God has a belief two, 2 plus 2 equals 4 probably isn't because that belief is caused by 2 plus 2 equaling 4. There must be some other explanation. Uh, However exactly you understand the statement 2 plus 2 equals 4, whether it involves abstract objects or whether it doesn't. Um, either way, there's a concern. Um, these sorts of very abstract mathematical facts don't seem like they would cause anything. Well, then how could we have true beliefs about them? Right? That's the concern. And how could God have true beliefs about them? Hmm. That's super interesting, Andrew. So thanks for kind of diving into this a little bit. So then maybe it'd be helpful to talk about like a little bit about like theistic Platonism and how that kind of plays into like understanding this dialectic. So could you just talk a little about first, like what is theistic Platonism yeah. and like what is your view and like how does it like relate to it um, in understanding this topic? Yeah, so uh, so the term Platonism is used in multiple ways, right? It's it just uh, it basically just means you know, related to Plato, the philosopher. And one thing Plato was known for was belief in um, abstract objects of a certain sort, like uh, forms. Today, we'd probably describe these as properties. So the property of being blue, I don't know, the property of having a negative electric charge or something like that. These are actual objects floating out there in platonic heaven. Uh, maybe you throw in other things besides properties, Numbers, number two. Uh, so usually in metaphysics, if people talk about Platonism, they're usually going to mean this view, that uh, there are these abstract objects, like the number two actually exists, or the property of being negatively charged. That's a thing. So you're going to count everything that exists. You're going to be like an electron, a dog, the property of being negatively charged, right? Yeah. Um, in this paper, I'm using the word Platonism in a broader sense. Um, so that includes belief in these abstract objects, but um, it's a bit broader. I think I only mentioned this in a footnote. Uh, so it's a little non-standard, but it's fine for the purposes of my paper. So the, uh, the way I'm using Platonism is just, there are uh, sort of um, abstract facts or abstract portions of reality that don't cause anything, right? So there is the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4. At the very least, that's true, right? 2 plus 2 does equal 4. Um, maybe that means that there's an abstract object out there, the proposition 2 plus 2 equals 4, or there's the number 2, the number 4, whatever. Uh, maybe it means that, maybe it doesn't. Either way, it is true that 2 plus 2 equals 4. It doesn't seem to cause anything. Um, that's how I'm using the term Platonism in this paper. And uh, not just 2 plus 2 equals 4, but other abstract facts as well, like moral facts, whatever. 
um, maybe modal facts, like it's possible that I was wearing a different shirt today. Right? Um, theistic Platonism, uh, again, I don't think I actually defined that in the paper. Um, I, I basically, I think I just mean Platonism, as I'm thinking of it, in this paper, conjoined with theism. Okay, So if you think that uh, there's these sorts of abstract facts, like moral facts, mathematical facts, logical facts, whatever, and you think God exists, then uh, that's all I mean that theist by theistic Platonism in this paper. Because um, in one section, I address this argument that shows that um, theistic Platonists, maybe they're in trouble because um, they think God has various true beliefs regarding these abstract portions of reality. And yet, it's hard to see how God could have true beliefs of that sort if those abstract portions of reality are not causing God's true beliefs, or vice versa. God's not making it the case that 2 plus 2 equals 4. Uh, so that's how I'm thinking of the term theistic Platonism in this paper. Really, I don't even think you need to know, uh, know that terminology to understand mm. the paper or the main points I'm trying to make. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's helpful. So then I think with regards to like this idea, you're doing a little bit like this idea of the reliability challenge, which is like, how can God know, um, say like these abstract objects are out there, how can God know like two plus two is four? Uh, so like, what is this, maybe you want to go into a little bit more about like what this is and like how would you kind of respond to this? The reliability challenge, you said? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so uh, all the time philosophers talk about a similar challenge with respect to us, human beings. So if murder is wrong, how do I know that, right? Uh, like, it seems like it is, but like, how do we know something like that? Um, so I know that, you know, a certain tree is green by just looking at it, right? I can see the tree. Um, it's hard to see whether we can do something similar with, say, moral facts or mathematical facts or something like that. If I see somebody doing something wrong, right? Um, I may see their physical movements. Do I also see the wrongness of the action? Um, that's the question. Um, and if you say yes, then you're just going to have to figure out how that could happen, right? Um, how could we uh, track those sorts of very abstract facts about reality, moral facts, for example? Um, so there's a general concern. I don't want to get into that too much because that's not the main topic of my paper that reliability challenge with respect to us. It's called reliability challenge because the idea is how could we have reliable beliefs about stuff like this? So maybe I think that person, what they're doing is morally wrong. I see them doing something horrible, right? Um, maybe my belief is correct, but um, maybe it's just correct by accident, right? Um, what we want to know is how we reliably form moral beliefs and other abstract beliefs of this sort, like mathematical beliefs and logical beliefs. Um, how do we have all these true beliefs about what's right, what's wrong, which mathematical facts are true, um, which logical facts are true, modal facts, facts about possibility and necessity. Uh, how could we have reliable beliefs about these causally inert features of reality? Um, since they don't cause anything, that's the concern. How could we know about them? And uh, so there was this paper I wanted to respond to here by somebody named Dan Barris. I think it's called the, what is it called? Um, the 
a reliability challenge to theistic Platonism, right? And uh, he says, look, there's this reliability concern with respect, with respect to our beliefs about, say, moral facts, mathematical facts, whatever. Um, theists often think they have a pretty easy time with this sort of reliability concern. How do we know moral facts? Well, um, it might be hard to explain that about God or something like God. But if God wants us to know these moral facts, God can make sure it happens, at least to some extent, that we have reliable beliefs about this sort of thing. Well, Barris in this paper was just pointing out um, the same reasons which make us think that we would not have reliable beliefs about mathematical facts or moral facts, or logical facts, whatever. Well, those same reasons would apply to God, right? Um, so if the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4 doesn't cause us to have the belief that 2 plus 2 equals 4, the same thing would apply with God, right? Um, so how would God have true beliefs about these causally inert portions of reality? If it's a problem for us, it's a problem for him. That's the concern. And uh, one way out of this is to say we we create moral facts or we create mathematical facts or whatever. So they don't need to cause our beliefs. We cause them, right? And that's how we know about them. So if I close my eyes and uh, like I know what my hand is doing, and part of the reason I know that is because of I can feel my hand, right? But even if my hand was totally numb, I could still know what my hand was doing because I'm causing it to move, right? Um, I know it's moving because like I'm doing that. And if we could say something similar about mathematical facts or moral facts or whatever, great, we know about those facts because we decide what those facts are. Uh, Barris assumes, let's not take that route. Uh, many philosophers are gonna reject that, he just assumes it's false. And he assumes it's false with respect to God as well. So God doesn't know the moral facts by creating those moral facts, or God doesn't know the mathematical facts by creating those mathematical facts. Um, that's going to be controversial, right? Especially in the moral case. Still, plenty of philosophers will accept it, right? So 2 plus 2 equals 4. Um, and that's true not because God made it true. It's just true, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so that seems plausible. So if God doesn't make that true, and it doesn't cause any beliefs in God, since it doesn't cause anything, then you have to wonder, how does God know about it? Um, so that's the reliability concern. It's a concern with our beliefs about lots of stuff, and it's now a concern about God's beliefs about lots of stuff. And uh, so that's what the reliability concern is, and then you can kind of see how my proposal maybe responds to it. But did I give a good uh, do a good job explaining what the concern is supposed to be? Yeah, no, I think that is that. I think you did a good job of describing the concern. Like I grasped it, like this idea of like this abstracta of like two plus two equals four, and it seems to be like mind independent in a sense. And it's like, well, how mm -hmm. could God know that, or how could anyone kind of grasp that? And the same could be applied to like maybe like moral facts, as you said. So right. yeah, I think that yeah, sense, Andrew. Yeah, it's kind of like if there's a box in Antarctica that's closed, and I didn't put anything in the box. I didn't know any. I don't know anybody who put anything in the box, and the box is closed. So whatever's inside, it's not causing anything to happen outside, how could I possibly know what's in the box, right? Um, yeah. It's not causing any beliefs in me, and I didn't cause what's in the box, right? So how can I know what's in there? It's, it's kind of like that, um, except applied to 
abstract facts of various sorts, like mathematical facts, logical facts, moral facts, and so on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's super helpful. So one kind of um, challenge here with regards to that is say we accept the fact of like two plus two equaling four and like God isn't like maybe like creating this fact or something, but rather um, talking about like how he understands it, this idea of like the challenge of like challenging divine nicety. So if we say that like God's beliefs are grounded as you kind of argued in the facts about the subject matter of the beliefs, how could this maybe challenge the idea that maybe of God creating all things? Because it seems like maybe um, these facts are something that God doesn't create. They just kind of exist. So how would you understand uh, that interaction? Yeah. Um, yeah, so for one thing, uh, maybe you think God knows about these facts by creating them. So um, God knows murder is wrong because God decided murder is wrong. So um, just like I might know what's in the box because I put something in there, right? And I remember what I put in there. Uh, you could take that route with respect to these sorts of abstract facts. Uh, I think I just say in the paper, well, if you don't want to take that route, here's another thing you can do. And frankly, I don't think you should take that route. Um, it just doesn't seem to me that God creates most moral facts or, more, or mathematical facts or logical facts or mobile facts, like the fact that it's possible for uh, me to be wearing a different shirt. Um, I don't know. I'm of the opinion God doesn't create most of those facts. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so that doesn't seem like a plausible response to the reliability challenge to me. If you think it is, it does provide another response to the challenge. Um, and then you can see my paper is just providing a different response. Yeah. You can endorse both, right? You could say, um, I know what's in the box because I put something in there and because I'm looking in the box and I can, it's causing me to have certain visual experiences. You say the same thing about God. God knows the moral facts and the mathematical facts because God created those facts and because God's beliefs are grounded in those facts. It could work both ways. Um, and... Uh, as for divine aseity, aseity, uh, yeah, I don't know how to pronounce it. Uh, I, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't see a problem here if God's beliefs are grounded about various things. Um, I don't see how that would impinge on God's greatness or whatever in any way. <laughs> so God is the belief that two plus two equals four because that belief is grounded in the fact that two plus two equals four. I just don't see how that's a problem. Uh, you could still say God created everything which exists. You could still say God has a lot of control. Maybe God doesn't have control over 2 plus 2 plus 4, but so what? Nobody could have control over something like that. Mm -hmm. um, I just don't see the problem. Yeah. No, it's funny. Like it, I, I have a similar intuition Like when I think about this idea of like um, what's people be like, raising our argument from abstract objects, I'm just kind of like, well, okay, well, if God, like, if no one can control this, like, what's the problem here? Like, it's not like there's something like God's, yeah. like, trying to do and he just can't change. Um, right. That would be a challenge that I say, society, but it seems yeah. like, at least to me, with, like, regards to this challenge, I, I share that same intuition with you. It's just, like, it's not a problem. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, divine city is one of these attributes that when people mention it, uh, it's just not very compelling to me when they when they act like there's some problem for some view because it would conflict with divine aseity. Um, mm -hmm. It's usually just I'm not moved at all. I can't think of another example now, but I feel like this comes up sometimes. Uh, well, it'd be good if I had an example, but I can't remember. But anyway, I'm not moved by this sort of concern with respect to, say, God's beliefs being grounded in the way I suggest. Mm -hmm. 
let's go back to the reliability challenge just for a moment here. Um, so we took the idea of like how could like God say no, like two plus two goes four, or like these moral facts. Um, this idea of like, well, we have this question of like how God could do it, but then there's also this question of like how could we know these similar facts considering like our position, like we don't have like direct access to these. Um, so with that idea, like, so the, the, the non-theist doesn't really have an advantage here, you would say, if they're raising the reliability challenge, I'm guessing? Uh, yeah. Um, so, sorry. So, so this paper I'm responding to by the philosopher Dan, Dan Barris, I mentioned. Um, uh, one part of his argument was, um, look, the theist is not going to have an, a, an easier time replying to this reliability challenge with respect to our beliefs. So how do we know moral facts, mathematical facts, whatever? Um, if you just say, well, God's helping us out, he says that won't work because God faces the same problem. Um, so I think the theist does have an advantage here. Uh, one, because God doesn't face that reliability challenge. It can be overcome in the way I suggest in the paper. Um, and if that's the case, uh, well, if that's the case, you might wonder, maybe the reliability challenge for us can be overcome in the same way. Maybe my belief that 2 plus 2 equals 4, or that murder is wrong, or whatever, they are grounded in those facts just like God's beliefs are. And if that's true, um, then the theist would not have any advantage over the non-theist with respect to the reliability challenge for our beliefs. You could say um, there's a solution to the problem, and it's the same solution with respect to God's beliefs as it is with respect to our beliefs. Um, so I don't think that's right. So I think the theist still has an advantage here. Uh, so for example, just because our beliefs could be grounded in this way, I believe that 2 plus 2 equals 4, it could be grounded in the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4, um, it doesn't follow that it would be. Um, you might think it's more likely that God's beliefs would be grounded in that way. It's more likely than that our beliefs would be. For a few reasons, uh, I go into, for starters, um, you might think that God sets up these grounding relations. God's like, wow, I really want to know if 2 plus 2 equals 4. I'm going to set it up so that my belief about that, that thing will be grounded in the fact of whether you know, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Mm -hmm. Maybe God can set up, set up those sorts of grounding relations, but we can't. I mean, try it. Like, what, do you, what would you even do, right? Um, mm -hmm. But God can do, like, whatever God wants, right? Uh, instant decree, boom, it happens. And if that's the case, then God has a way of knowing about these facts, which isn't open to us. Um, yeah. Other things are like, uh, so sometimes people think grounding is necessitating. So if A grounds B, then necessarily, if A obtains, then B obtains. You might think, well, if God's belief that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is grounded in the fact that 2 plus 2 equals 4, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is necessary, and grounding is necessary, so God's belief that 2 plus 2 equals 4 is necessarily grounded in this necessary fact, well, then God would necessarily have that belief. And then maybe God exists necessarily, okay? Um, some theists are going to be like, great, I already thought God existed necessarily. This works out great. Uh, mm -hmm. But then you, you would think, well, humans don't exist necessarily. So it can't be the case that our beliefs are grounded in these facts like they are with God, right? Um, 
Now, I don't actually endorse all that. I've never really seen a good reason to think God exists necessarily. But, uh, but you might endorse that line of thought. Plus, oh, plus I don't think grounding is necessary. I think there's good counterexamples. Um, still, this, is, this would be a sympathetic line of thought to many people. Since many people think about grounding, think that grounding is uh, necessary, and um, many people who believe in God think God exists necessarily. Yeah. Okay, so there's a couple reasons to think it's more plausible that God's beliefs would be grounded in the way I suggest than it is that ours would be without divine assistance. I feel like I give one or two other arguments I can't really remember right now. Uh, but you can always read the paper. You know, it's online. It's open access. So uh, it's open to everybody. Yeah. And the paper's linked down below. And I see someone put it in the chat too right now. So you can check it out and see it. Great stuff. We're about here close to the end. So obviously there's so much to cover here, Andrew. But just to wrap things up, so if you were explaining this kind of idea of like this question of how does God know 2 plus 2 equals 4 to someone that has like maybe very little knowledge and you only had a few minutes to do so, how would you kind of describe this? Uh, definitely a challenge. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, let me think. Uh, well, um, so grounding is... Well, that's kind of what I was trying to do earlier, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Grounding is this idea. Okay, maybe if I if I simplified it really in like almost a slogan, like you know how it's true that two plus two equals four. Yeah. Why is it true that two plus two equals four? Well, because two plus two equals four. Well, you could say the same thing about God's belief that two plus two equals four. Um, why does God have that belief? Because 2 plus 2 equals 4. And the because, in both cases, it's the same sort of because. It points toward the same underlying uh, way in which one thing can depend on another. That's so abstract, right? I, don't, uh, I think that's the this, this briefest I can take it, right? But, um, but I think the idea is pretty intuitive. I mean, once you give examples of grounding, I think you can get a grasp on grounding. Um, if you can't, just go to like fillpapers.org and type grounding, and you'll have like literally thousands of responses. Um, or go to the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy, type grounding, okay, or metaphysical grounding. You'll get all this info, and then, um, and I'm just saying, look, that same sort of thing, grounding, it applies to God's beliefs. Hmm. And once you think about that proposal, you can see it has various benefits. Like it can show how God can know about portions of reality which don't cause anything. Yeah. I don't know. That's a, that's a basic idea. <laughs> well, thank you for kind of going through that because it's definitely a challenge to explain. Um, it's definitely an important topic, but a hard topic to understand a little bit. So I'll yeah, let you introduce you. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. It's, very, it's very abstract stuff. Um, uh, you might even wonder, I, I, I kind of w would think, you might wonder why you would even talk about something like this. Um, mm. And so, so I think if you look at that reliability challenge first from that guy, Dan Barris, and see that that's a problem, then you'll understand the motivation for talking about this really abstract stuff about grounding and God's beliefs. Uh, by the way, I, I met Dan Barris at a conference, and uh, I think, gosh, I think he agreed with what I said in this paper, or at least he agreed that it would be a response. I don't remember. He was a nice guy, though. So, uh, anyway. 
<laughs> Fun stuff. Well, thank you so much for coming on today, Andrew. Do you have anything like last thoughts or things you want to say here before we wrap things up? No, not really. I don't think so. I think I said what I wanted to say. Yeah, I think it was super helpful. And for me, like it helped me understand your work more and like what's going on here with this paper and stuff. So yeah, Andrew, thank you so much for coming on today. Is there anywhere where people could like follow you or stay in touch with you if they're just curious about your work? Uh, if you know about philpeople.org, philpeople.org. It's like big site used by a lot of philosophers and they put a lot of papers on there. And if you want to look up different subjects, you can, right? Um, you want to look up a particular topic, you can find all the papers organized under that topic. So anyway, on philpapers.org, you can just look, look me up there. All my papers are on there. Um, so that'd probably be the best place to go. Yeah, that's super helpful. Um, we did have a super chat I'll read from pseudonym, which says, is, isn't 22 two twos and not four? Um, we're talking about two plus two equals four. So maybe that helps clarify what was going on here. Um, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 22 is not four. That's true. That's true. Uh, but two twos is four. So therefore, two plus two equals four. So there we go. There you we go. got it. Got that. Uh, if anything else, you know, maybe you aren't convinced by how Andrew thinks God knows two plus two equals four. Maybe we can just all agree two plus two equals four, and that could be a good kind of wrap up. Yeah, that's, that's a good foundation, right? Uh, once we agree on that, we can agree about lots of other stuff, too. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. That's super fun. Well, Andrew, thank you so much for joining me. I hope you have a great uh, rest of your day. And yeah, thank you so much for tuning in and helping out today and sharing your thoughts. So grateful. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks. And thank you to everyone who tuned in and everything. Wish you the best. God bless. And be sure to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. And we'll see you next time. So bye, everyone.